here this morning. If you have your Bibles, take them with me and turn to Matthew chapter 25. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 25, we're going to, Lord willing, finish uh, the parable of Matthew chapter 25. <clears throat> we understood that Matthew 24 says, Therefore be on alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. The essence there is be alert. Jesus is coming again. Amen? He's coming again. Be alert was the issue there. Then in Matthew chapter 25, we have the parable of the ten virgins. And in that, it was not only be alert found in verse chapter 24, but be prepared found in chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. And then last week, we went through exegetically part of the Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. Part, we got down to verse 17 is approximately where we got down to. And in that text, it is be busy. Be about the work God has given you. Amen. That, that to me is probably, this, this parable has really helped. I was talking to my wife yesterday and saying, hey, I'm executing this text when I'm not working on my paper, but I'm working on my paper. <laughs> because my paper is all about work. God created man to work, amen, to do his service. Matter of fact, you cannot go to Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 and not see obviously, clearly, abundantly, work is a predominant theme in the creation of this world. God worked. Man was created to work. And yet, in our society today, what are we doing with work? Whew. You know, I always thought, here's, I'll just be, give you an idea here. I, I always thought that that's just old people to think that us young kids don't have a work ethic. Well, either I'm old or the world doesn't have a work ethic. <laughs> it's one of the two. I'm telling you, it is terrible. Uh, to see that there just very little work ethic. Now, I praise the Lord. I work with many of you. And I see the work ethic that God has given. And I praise God for that. But this parable on the talents is literally about, and contextually, about using what God has given for the proclamation of the kingdom. Amen? Using what God has given. In this text, obviously, it is about money. It's about tal the talents, which is a weight of money. The verse that we went to is, work for the night is coming. That is the absolute essence of what this parable and the parable Mr. Gaiman just read, both of those are to the point of, work now, work, 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 for the day is coming. The night is coming, I'm sorry, for the night is coming, when no, work, when, when no one can work. And that work, obviously, I would argue, is a, you won't even realize you're working. Because we're going to talk about that today. I'm not going to get into that right now. So the outline was money given to the slaves, the stewardship the slaves exemplified. We've talked about that already. This morning will be on the later part of the second one, and then the third and fourth, which is the master was pleased and rewards the two slaves, and the master was displeased and judges the slaves. That's where we're at this morning. Um, 
What is the kingdom of heaven? We talked about this. The kingdom of heaven is synonymous with what? The kingdom of heaven is synonymous with the kingdom of God. They are synonymous terms used in Matthew Mark. We dealt with that last week. By the way, I think um, that was very important that we understand that we are kingdom citizens. Amen. And for that matter, we are before the second coming of Christ. Is that true? He hasn't come again yet. Therefore, we can argue that what is said today, although contextually is probably about tribulational saints, it does apply also to us. We are kingdom saints waiting for the second coming of Christ. Um, now, we know we will be gone and then seven years later He'll come down. We get that, right? But, it's about us too. Alright. The kingdom... Uh, so, Money was given to the slaves. We saw that in verses 14 and 15. It's like a man about to go on a journey. Who's that man that went on a journey? Christ. He is called the Master in this text. He's going on a journey. He's gone on a journey. He called His own slaves. Who are the slaves? This is interesting. The slaves, I will argue this morning, and you'll see it, that... The slaves are those who profess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Does not necessarily mean they possess Him. It's a very important issue that we'll get to later on this morning. He, he, he entrusted, the Master entrusted to His slave possessions. His personal possessions that were to be used, right? Verse 15, Kingdom of Heaven is like a man who called to get the slave and entrusted possessions to them. To the one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one. Each according to his own ability, and he went on his journey. So he gave him these gifts, which are part of him. That's an important truth. Amen? And that then he left. Obviously, he's talking about Jesus Christ. The first time he came, he then imparted gifts and then left. <clears throat> the talent was original money. Okay, well, we've talked about all this. The Master is Jesus Christ. The journey is the time between the first and the second coming of Jesus Christ. The slaves are all professing believers. The talents or the weight of money that was given is, is a, a picture of the giftedness, abilities, and opportunities. But that also includes money. Does that make sense? Contextually, it's focused on money, but it includes all these things. It's gifts that God has given, His possessions that He has given us. The idea is the stewardship, the slaves exemplified. We talked about it immediately. Remember that? Remember the guy that was given five talents? What did he do? Immediately. Oh, it's not yet time for me to clock in. I'll just sit and wait. What a waste of time. Oh my. <laughs> Punch in. Get to work. Punch in. Amen. Christians should be punched in. Do we get that? <laughs> Immediately, the one who had received the five talents went and traded them, and he gave, gained five more talents. And we gave you the picture of Petra. This is the actual picture of Petra and people that are playing the part of what would have happened there in buying and selling goods. That's exactly what this guy did. He invested it into a business that gained five more. 
Immediately the one who had received the five talents went and traded them and gained five more talents. The same manner the one who had received the two talents gained two more talents. And that, remember we, we gave the picture of, I think it's a man and his son is what it looks like to me. And the son is just kind of sitting there dazed, not willing, wanting to be there. Men, I want to tell you this, and I'm not picking on this guy, I get it. I could not sit down and watch people go by. I would just get too antsy. But here's the deal. Men, fathers, teach your young men how to work with their hands. Teach them. Teach them what it means to work hard. Uh, My family. That was one of the most important things to me. Teach them how to work. And I would get flack. Oh, they're just working all the time. Working all the time. And maybe that was true. I continue to receive phone calls from said family. Thank you, Dad, for teaching me how to work. It makes a huge difference. I will tell you, it does. Because Nothing turns people off more than someone punching in the clock, putting it in their time because they have to, and just lollygagging the whole work day. And then, oh, do you want to know about Jesus? Are you kidding me? There is no way I want to know about your Jesus because I hate your work ethic. And if that's the Jesus you're talking about, I want nothing to do with Him. You see, your work impacts eternity. It impacts eternity. Then we'll go, and this is, we, we, then they, he received the one talent. What did he do? He went away. This is ridiculous. I, I don't understand. He went away. He dug a hole. If you're going to work, why would you do that? <laughs> he dug a hole in the ground and he hid his master's money, and we showed you a picture of uh, a hole found in Tekoa, the birthplace of Amos, um, and that's on the West Bank. And we told you that the reason that hole is there is because in the West Bank, there is not much protection over historical sites, so vandals dig in, steal the antiques, and put it on the black market. That's why that's there. Why do you go through all that? Because now you know where Amos was born. Tekoa, right? T-E-K-O-A. Is that important? Well, maybe. It's in the Bible, right? <laughs> all right. This morning we're going to talk about verse 19 and following. The Bible says, Now after a long time the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. So now the master has come. The question is, How long is the master going to be gone? Right? They don't know. And that's the point. The guy with the five talents didn't know. The guy with the one talent didn't know. And everybody in between. We have no idea. The same thing is for today. We have no idea when Jesus is coming again. No idea. And I'm thankful for that, to be honest with you. I can tell you that we do know that it's at least 2,000 years. Right? 
Well, unless he comes in the next 10 years, but roughly 2,000 years. But that is not the point in the text here. The contextual point is that Jesus was parabolically, did you follow that? He's parabolically telling the disciples that he is coming back. So what are the disciples? We just learned Jesus was near Jerusalem and he talks about the mina. What is the mina? Money. Because, and in that text it says, because they are expecting Jesus to what? Set up his kingdom now. Well, this text is telling them, I'm going away. Do you see the text issue? He's telling them parabolically, in a parable, I'm going to go away. That's something new to them. They expected him to walk into Jerusalem, have this big, huge thing. Everybody loved him, put palm branches on, which happened, and then go into the temple and control the temple, and then become king of Jerusalem and all of Israel. Now, let me ask you, I, I love historical narrative in Scripture. Here are the disciples. They're like, man, Jesus saying he's you know, doing this and doing that. He says he's going to die. And then he says he's going to come back. Why, where is he going to go? And then and they have all that information. They go then to Jerusalem. They walk in Jerusalem and they don't just walk in. When the disciples and Jesus walk in, what is it? Oh my. The king is here. Hosanna, Hosanna. Throwing palm branches down. Throwing their cloaks down. Praising him. We call it Palm Sunday. Things, great things are happening. Yeah, and they're like, oh yes, 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 yes. Then he goes in and looks at the end of the temple. And then the next day, he controls the temple. And they're like, yes, 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 yes. And then he comes and he tells them, I'm going to die. Crazy. And that's what's going on. This is the point. The master is leaving and he's parabolically telling the disciples he's leaving and that he'll come again. And then is when he will settle the accounts. So, contextually he is telling tribulational citizens in a secular world, use what God has given you. Principally, he's telling all his followers that he, what he expects of them, whatever that may be. The work that God has prepared for you. By the way, there's not a one person in here that is not, if you're a believer, somehow, some way, God has given you something to work for kingdom purposes. He has given you a job, a ministry to serve. The Master the Bible says, of those slaves came back. How? How did He come back? Well, He came back unexpectedly. Children, has your mom ever said, listen, I'm going to go to the grocery store. I'll be right back. You be good. How did that work? Click, click. Yahoo! Door shut, mom's gone, party! And then, by the way, parents, you did the same thing. Not that it's right. 
All of a sudden, you hear, Oh! The garage door is opening. Mom's home. Quick! What? Fix everything we messed up. Is that not exactly what the Christian life has become? You know what? There's no garage door for a heads up. There are trumpets at the coming. So they came, he came, this master did, unexpectedly. In the talent parable, the master determined what the slaves had done. He was going to bless them or hurt them depending on what they had done with the assets that were given to them. And he sat down with them and settled the accounts with them. The idea was that whether he would be he would be gone for a seemingly long or seemingly short time by their human reckoning, they would have opportunity to work for him. They were obligated to work for him. In what I'm reading and studying and focusing on for this dissertation is you are literally working with God in your ministry, whatever that is. I don't care if you're out there excavating, knocking down logs, you're in the retail business of selling goods, it doesn't matter. You're working with God. God is working with you. We're through you. You do it the best you can. And everybody said, well, yeah, 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 we work for God's glory. That's all that it means. No, 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 that's just platitude. You are literally working with and for and in Christ. Amen. You are. How good of an employee are you? Because if you're doing it with and for and for God, how good will you be? Let me ask you, do you work like Christ is with you? Here's something shocking. He is. He is. Settling the accounts now, he had the idea. The idea here is there's a reckoning that's going to happen. Whether he would be gone for a seemingly long or short time was, was irrelevant, truly. It was, he is coming back. You are given the opportunity to serve him. You are obligated to work for him. How did you do? To be honest with you, I want to bet so badly preach a series on work right now. <laughs> That's what I want to preach. Because it's, it's embedded in the text. It's certainly the focus of the whole parable. I'll push back on my desires on work, and we'll just work through the text. But I will tell you, it's hard. It's going to keep coming up because it's on my heart. Does that make sense to you? All right. It is a little crazy and very sad how Christians react when someone convinces them that Jesus is coming on this or that date. In other words, as I was reading MacArthur's commentary, he says it this way. He tells of one man, he said, one man I knew sold everything he had for about a half a million dollars. Some of which he used to buy thousands of New Testaments and distribute them around the world. He also bought and distributed various religious ornaments and trinkets 
he thought would arouse interest in Christ. But soon, he was bankrupt as well as frustrated and disheartened that his confidence in the Lord immediately returned in the Lord's immediate return his confidence in the Lord's immediate return proved unfounded now what is he going to do folks no one knows the date of Christ's return nobody does but it is sure he is coming the boss is coming back the master is going to sit down and reckon with you how you used what he has given you he simply commands us to do his work until he comes back the idea is faithfulness he wants simple faithfulness and we're going to show you why because the text shows us why first of all what did the slaves do in verse 1920 the one who received the five talents came up to that reckoning <clears throat> he came up and he brought five more talents master you entrusted me with five talents see I have gained five more talents now let me ask you does it sound like when he says I have gained five more talents for you was this first guy's arrogant was he haughty to answer that there are two important aspects that we must understand first of all would the master ever reward arrogance and haughtiness no he hates it so the first one would well no well the second one the only reason we think of arrogance and pride is that we have been motivated by such nefarious reasons in our past have we not we've maybe even said the same thing look what I did and therefore, when we say, look what I did, what we are saying is, here I am. The reality is, the only reason you are able to do what you do is because of Him. Look how God used me. Thank you so much, Lord. So no, this man wasn't a prideful man. It wasn't an arrogant man. There's no hint of pride or self-congratulation. He knew that everything he had started had been entrusted to him. Everything that he had and everything he started with was entrusted to him by his master, and that he had only done what he, and, and, and that he had only done what he should have done. In other words, it's not about me. It's about him. This is what he did. This is his giftedness. This is his money. Look what I did did not enter the language. It's not me, 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 me. It's like what Jesus commanded. Paul says it this way. Paul said, when you do all these things which are commanded, you say, you are, un, you are an unworthy slave. We have done only that which we have ought to have done. That is found in Luke chapter 17, verse 10. 
We are unworthy to receive what He has given us. How many times do we use platitudes in this? Man, you're awesome! Nobody is awesome. Oh boy. Nobody's awesome. It's God who is awesome and it's God who imparted the possession. It's God that gave it. Paul. Let me ask you, was Paul an arrogant man? At one time he was. But then he was just a a down down he was a dog working like a dog for the Lord. Here's what Paul said. I am ready. I am already being poured out as a drink offering. Let me ask you. I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. What is he saying? I'm a shell of a man. The only thing I have is what has been given to me. It's been poured into me and now I'm pouring it out. That's the idea. I have fought a good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Look at the two words there. And I wish I would have put it on here. I'm sorry I didn't put it on the old version. If you have your Bible, 2 Timothy 4, 6-8 through is the text. 2 Timothy 4, 6-8 through I am ready, I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the, what kind of fight? Good fight. I have finished the course. What does that mean? I have kept the faith. Those kind of tie together. I'm faithful in what I've been called to do. Good and faithful. In the future there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge will award to me on that day. God hates pride. Why? Why does God hate pride? Matter of fact, does God say He hates pride? Yeah, absolutely. He hates it. Why does He hate it? Here's why. For all things come from Him alone and for His glory alone. It's not about us alone. But too many Christians live in the life of us alone. I'm going to worship the way I want to worship. I am not kidding you. A a past friend of mine... (laughs) was all excited about how his children worship the Lord. Here's a video. It was a mosh pit. A mosh pit. Sorry. <laughs> Brian Mosh. No, no, not that kind of pit. It was a, just slamming the bodies together and throwing each other in the air. All for the glory of the Lord. Yeah. Oh. got to be kidding me you know what there's a I, there's an attitude out there that well god wants to be worshiped but how we worship is kind of up to us talk to the talk to the 3000 men that were swallowed into the pit that god opened up after they were worshiping by taking a golden calf making it worshiping it and Moses got down there. He said, what in the world are you doing? They said, well, we're worshiping God. 
what did he do? He wanted to kill them all, by the way. But in His grace, He saved some. No, worship style does matter to God. They did not... Here's the, here's, here's the reality. And this is why it's so awesome. In that text, they had been living and grew up in Egypt. What did they know was worship in their mind? The culture tainted them. Then when they got to the bottom, they were worshiping Jehovah. They thought they were. Read the text. It says it right clear. They thought they were worshiping God, but the only way they knew, the way they understood how to worship Him was paganized, and so they worshiped Him that way. So don't you dare tell me worship is up to you. That's ridiculous. Just it, That makes me angry, to be honest with you. You're perverting something great God has made. Amen? So, God hates pride. Why? For all things come from Him alone and for His glory alone. So, what did the Master say? Then the Master said to him, verse 21, well done. And look what the words He uses. Good and faithful slave. He doesn't, man, you're awesome, buddy. <laughs> he doesn't say that. You did terrific, man. How'd you do that? No, he says good and faithful. Means he's moral, he does things right, ethically, and he's faithful in doing the work of God. The work of his Master. The Master did not say, you're amazing. Look at how great you are. We must be careful when encouraging others. Did you hear that? I'm telling you, the world has got this wrong right now. They have the right premise. They want to encourage people. Amen to that, right? Should we be an encouragement to others? Yes or no? Yes, we should. Absolutely, we should. But we don't build up their self-esteem. We build up their God-esteem. Amen. There is a difference. When encouraging people, we have to understand people are not great. God is great. People are not awesome. They're not spectacular. Humanity is nothing apart from God. Why in the world are these great athletes, quote unquote, okay, so great? God has gifted them somehow. God created them like that. Did He not? Let me ask you this. Take the most unbelievable athlete you can think of and remove God's creativeness in him. What is he? Non-existent. Humanity is nothing apart from God. All He asks is that we work right, work ethically, work faithfully. That's what He's saying here. God is working through us, not apart from us. All that is good in this world is directly from His hand, not ours. The Master was commending the slave's character 
was commending the slave's character simply, not simply his accomplishments. Folks, it's character that is foundation to accomplishment. Amen? Do we understand that? Let me ask you, can you get the work done wrongly? Absolutely. It's about character. That is the foundation to work, to accomplishment. Let me compare a couple things. Here's... Um, I'm trying to come up with... Here's Jeff. Is there any Jeff in this room? All right, good. Jeff. Jeff wakes up. He has to be at work at 8.30. His alarm goes off at 8.20. He drags himself to the clock. Oh, look. He's five minutes late. He looks... <laughs> he looks like he's been up all night. That's fair. I was going to use the term hell, but I don't think I should use that. <laughs> he looks like he's been up all night long. He is not shaven. He's not brushed his teeth in five weeks. His hair is everywhere. He drags himself to work. He doesn't want to be there. Obviously. He's just punching in the clock. Dragging his feet all day long. For the glory of God. Let me ask you. Is that your, the man you want to get your theology from? Is that the man you want to learn your faith from? Or will you learn your faith from? To be honest with you, I question if that man even has a relationship with God. Because that's not what it looks like. Compared to that person to... Um, what's another good name here? That's not here. Who? Help. Brad. Is there a Brad here? I have no idea. So Brad, Brad has got an 8.30 opening of work. He's up at 7. He's in the text of the Word. He literally takes a little bit of time, washes his hair, dry, cleans it, combs it, brushes his teeth, and he gets there, he looks at the clock, he's 15 minutes early. He doesn't sit there and watch it tick away. He literally punches the clock, gets in there, and he's hustling, he's honest, God's character expressed in His joy and His actions. Let me ask you, is that night and day? Here's, now, those are just Brad and Jeff from out of the sky. Here's the question, which one are you? 
Which one are you? And which one would be called by the Master a good and faithful slave? So let's remember what the Master is doing. Jesus is coming again. What is He coming to do? He's coming to judge the wicked. He's coming to start the millennial kingdom. And He's also here to praise His true disciples for their good and faithful work. Now, how many are excited about judging the wicked? How many think that's awesome? Jesus is coming again to judge the bad guys. Man, do... I must have all the emotions of you. <laughs> I mean, he's coming to judge the bad guys. They get their just reward. Woohoo! Amen. Amen. We're all excited about that. There's Bible books written about that. Why aren't you dealing with these bad guys yet, God? He will. And that's the time. That's what's going to happen in the second coming. But that's not only. He's starting the millennial kingdom. He's starting the time when the lion lays down with the lamb. Do you remember that? He's starting with a time when everybody is going to follow and obey Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, are Christians excited about the millennial kingdom? Yes or no? Yeah, guess so. Of course, yes, yes! He's going to sit on the throne. He's going to rule the rod of iron. Wow, yes, excitement. But there's also something else going to happen. He's going to sit down with you or with those during the tribulation time and say, good job. You're my good and my faithful servant. Look what he says right here. Well done. Good and faithful slave. And because of what you did here, this is what's huge. How many of you want Jesus to say, good and faithful? How many excited about how that happened? You, you, you've been given this. You used it for my glory. You used it to proclaim the Gospel. You used it for the Kingdom. Praise God, you worked what I gave you. Good and faithful servant. And I'm like, oh, thank you, God, for using me. I love that. But there's more. How many want to hear? What would happen if, if your favorite president of the United States would come and say, hey man, great job. You're a great and faithful employee of mine. How many would think, wow, that would be like news organizations would be here watching it, right? Well, this is only the God of the universe sitting down with you and saying this to you. How many of you get giddy about that? It kind of depends on how you're working now. Right? Some of you would cower in that. Oh, he's coming. Oh. I wasted all my life. Regardless, he doesn't only do that. Look what else he says. He will praise His true disciples with their faithfulness, imperfect as it will have been. Yet, 
This is the glorious prospect of every child of God who, like Paul, loves Christ's appearing. How many can't wait for Christ to come again? Hold it now. Are you doing, are you working good and faithful and therefore excited about Him coming? Or are you, uh, you know, just wait till I get this right? <laughs> well, the Master not only highly praised His servant, but highly rewarded Him. Look what the text says. Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with the, what I gave you. The possessions of mine that I gave you. And by the way, that's a big deal. What possessions of His did He give you? The work ethic. The moral character. To be able to be good and faithful, you have to have Christ. Amen. That's what He gave you. And you use those things. You express those things. You were a light in the shining dark in the darkness. You were the salt on the French fries. By the way, do you realize how little salt there is on French fries these days? I don't even buy them anymore. Terrible. That's the only reason you buy French fries is the salt. Anyways, can you imagine your vegetables without salt? A little salt just makes things pop. So here we go. You were faithful in a few things. Now what? I will put you in charge of many things. Ooh. This really divides people. Remember that? You remember Jeff? Just talked about him. Drug himself to work, shuffling, doesn't want to be there. Let me ask you does that guy want more responsibility? Not at all. Because he hates work. This guy here. He was good and faithful. It's like heaven to get more responsibility. And it literally is. Do you get this? He was given more responsibility. The Master has entrusted His slaves with earthly tasks. Why? Why? To those who prove themselves faithful and serve the Master. Why does He do that? Because if the slaves are faithful on earth, they will be given greater opportunity for greater work to Him throughout eternity. In other words, here's, here's the ugly question that most professing Christians don't like to hear. Heaven is all about work. What? So I, I was looking, scav I was scavenging the, all the internet Google pictures of a human with wings with a harp on the cloud. Bling, bling, this is my whole life. No, it's not. Heaven is not that. Heaven is the opportunity to serve God even more according to what this parable is saying. How many get that? We're going to serve God. 
we're going to work. And not only only going to work, it's like, okay, the guy with five got ten talents, right? I'm going to like quadruple hundred that. And it's going to be a blast. Now, how many people in this world to say are going to say, yeah, I'm going to go work and that's going to be a blast? Not me. Literally, people that do not know and love God will not enjoy heaven. They would hate it. Christ's faithful servants living on earth when He returns will enter into a millennial kingdom in their same earthly bodies and will be given responsibilities in accordance to how they use the responsibilities they were given during the tribulation time. And I believe that's also going to happen to you and to me. What you are given now will be used in the tribulation time. We will have glorified bodies. They won't. But we will rule and reign with Him also in that ruling and reign. You know, I, uh, again, I remember having young people from, from uh, ICC over, a huge amount of them, when Colin and Callie were going to ICC. And I sat down with one of them. I just trying to be, get to know him, be friends. And I, you know, I'd ask them, I said, what are you, what are you doing? Well, I, I, I'm just learning how to manage people because I'm going to manage people. You're 18 years old. What do you mean you're going to manage people? Now, is there room and a place and a giftedness of managing people? Yes. But work the job. You know, I remember, I, I, I will tell you this, I have never known a construction company that the employees are all giddy when, when the owner's son works there and becomes the manager too early. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? Oh my goodness, that's horrible. Why? There's no respect. There's no love. Many of them just quit. Why? Because it's about work. And if you can't work, then you shouldn't be managing people to work. Are you kidding me? The reality is this. When you are faithful in what God has given you here and now, He's going to give you more responsibility later. And that work is just a blast. How many of you would love to have been in the Garden of Eden? Okay, so here I am. I'm going right back. How many of you would love to have been in the Garden of Eden? If you, say, if you would love to be in the Garden of Eden where everything's perfect, lions and lambs lay together also. I mean, the trees are beautiful, blush, gorgeous. The fruit is out of this world. It is fantastic. There is nothing that is not perfect in the Garden of Eden. Now, how many of you would love to be there and would please show your emotion when you say yes? How many would love to be there? Yeah, all right, kind of. I blew it because I said too much words. The issue is we don't want to be there. Do you know what happened in the garden? Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. You can read it yourself. The purpose of creating man was to till the ground and keep it. What does that mean? Work. It was joyous. Matter of fact, you've got Eve. What about Eve? What did she do? She was to multiply the earth and be fruitful with Adam. Amen. 
By the way, anybody who doesn't believe that that multiplying and that laboring is not labor, you can talk to any wife in here and they will beat you up and rightfully so. Right? I think it's fine. I find it very interesting and I, I, had, I knew it was going to come up and I tried my best not to let it come up. But here's the deal. When Adam and Eve sinned, God cursed, correct? What did he specifically go after? I was talking to Scott McComsey about this on Wednesday night because it's part of my studies I'm doing this. Remember, what did he go after? He specifically went after work. Let me ask you, when you have your child, you remember you left him for the grocery store and you came home, he heard the grocery, you know, the uh, garage door opening, so they scrambled. They were really trying their best to get the chocolate off of their lips that they were not supposed to eat, right? So you get there and you say, okay, the mouth is full of crumbs, can't even talk. Chocolate on the lips and what are you talking about? I ain't doing anything. Okay, time for mom to discipline. How many of you are going to say, okay, you did this, this was wrong, therefore, you don't have to do your jobs for the rest of the week? Is that how you would discipline them? They would look like, did someone hit you, mom, in the head? Something's not right. But mom's going to say this, all right, no TV for the rest of the week. Why would you do that? Because it's something they like. No computer. No, here's a big one, probably going to hit every one of us that are 30 years and younger. No games. That's how I discipline. I take what's really important to them and I say, you, no, you, you blew it. No, no games for a month or whatever. Now that's my mentality. I'm human, I'm depraved. But I will tell you this. I think it's very possible God attacked the very thing that they loved the most. And what was it? From now on, when you have fun working, you're going to sweat. The thorns are going to go against you and it's going to be a pain. And for you, Miss Woman, your labor is going to increase majorly in childbirth. Think about this. Ladies, what is your greatest treasure? Your children. What would have been like if there wasn't any pain in bringing them in the world? How many would you have wanted? I know our house would have been lots. But the pain in labor hinders that. Hurts that. The point is this. The point I'm trying to make is work is one of the most pleasurable things man was created to do. And when we're out there encouraging people sharing Christ with them, working as hard as we can for the glory of the Lord, for, for 
with Him in that work, doing the best we can, there's fun in that. Is there not? There's joy in that. How do we know that? Well, let's look, look what the text says. So I'm going to take that work that's supposed to be an enjoyable thing, a wonderful thing, and I'm going to multiply it in the eternal state, right? Then, look what he says. Look what he says at the end of the verse. Enter into the what? Joy of your master. You see, what you're doing, did, when God created, did, did God work? When He worked all that, He created, he, it says He brought, He gathered together, He separated, He bowled up, and all these words in Genesis chapter 1. Then He said, and God said, it was good. Why? Because that was His joy. He enjoys that. He loves that. And man was created in His image to enjoy that. To love that. Now let me ask you, do we enjoy our work now? In the secular world, I don't know that it's the work that they enjoy as much as the benefits that is enjoyed. But in a Christian's world, we should enjoy every minute of it. And when it's hard, it's because of sin, not because it's work. Do we understand that? And the reality is here in this text, God's joy is experienced when working. That's the idea here. Enter into the joy. What joy? You're going to work twice as much, five times as hard. Here you go. But it's going to be perfect. You see, heaven's not about getting there and just... Heaven's about serving God and it's going to be a blast serving the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Both in the millennial kingdom and the eternal manifestation of the kingdom, those who have been faithful on earth will be put in charge of many things much greater in significance than the few things over which you have been faithful here and now. This is a big deal issue. Some will say, I don't want to keep serving. I've put up with this serving all my life. I certainly don't want to work eternally. Heaven is to rest from service. Kind of like retirement. Is that not the mindset of most people? It is. I will tell you, work, the word work in the Bible, the term is service. It's abad. Service is the very purpose humanity was created. And I will argue that work was the greatest enjoyment humanity experienced. That is why God disciplined humanity. He focused on making joyous work a living nightmare. That's the idea. Do you see what sin did? I'll say it again. God made God cursed, and when He cursed, He made joyous work Godly joyous work. A living nightmare. And it's all because of sin. If you are alive right now, if you are truly born again, you are to be faithfully serving God in whatever He has called you to do. To fight against that or to be disgruntled about that is an affront against God. And frankly, you will hate heaven. When we get to heaven, we will not sprout wings. We will not learn how to play the heart for eternity. All things in eternal heaven are perfect. Work by God 
and work by man exemplify the essence of creation. Heaven will be a time of ever-expanding and increasingly joyous service. And the saints who then will serve the most and joyous, the most will, will be those who have served the Lord most steadfastly while on earth. In other words, those who are working in heaven the most are the ones that are working faithfully and morally well here. Does that make sense? Every soul in heaven will equally possess eternal life and will be equally righteous, equally Christ-like, equally glorious. Everyone will be equally perfect because perfection has no degrees. The difference will be in the opportunities and levels of service. Hmm. It's almost as if God was a complementarian, not an egalitarian. Did you follow that? Egalitarian means everyone's equal and can do equal things. That is not true. What did God do in the story that, was, that Jesus taught near Jerusalem with the minas? Remember the guy that got ten talents? And the guy that got one talent? He took away the one talent and gave it to the guy with the ten. Why? That doesn't sound equal, does it? Well, I, I can answer the question like the Bible does. It's none of your business why. Because that's what the Bible says. But, to be sure... God gifts who He will, who He wills, and how He wills. And that's His decision. I'm sick and tired of deacons wanting to be an elder and not gifted that way. Now, not here because we don't have that. Okay, got it. But how many understand that? These deacons, oh, I want to be an elder. I'm going to be in. What does that mean? Well, I don't know, but it's, it's a higher position. So that's what I. No! Stop it! Stop it! God has gifted you in a way, whether you're a woman or a man, God gifted you that way. Glory in that. Drag has nothing to do with Christianity. Amen. The term drag is the term sin and eventual hell, if you want to know the truth. It's wickedness. It's rebellion against God. So is this giftedness. Well, well, I don't want to sit in a pew and just, just do this. I want to do that. I want to do that. Well, listen, folks. If God has gifted you to do so, praise God, go for it. If you realize, you know, I'm, I'm not a teacher, you have no business being an elder. And that doesn't make you less of a person. Amen. Not at all. Every soul in heaven possesses equal eternal life, equal righteousness, equal Christ-likeness, equal gloriousness, equal perfection. All of it's equal. But, there will be levels of service and opportunities. There will be those servants who were good and faithful on this earth and they are doing a ton more things than someone else is. That doesn't make it wrong or unequal or whatever. It makes it what God wants. The difference will be the opportunities. By the way, the Bible already says this because the angels serve God in different ranks. Do they not? Absolutely. 
so will redeemed men and women, and the degree of their heavenly service will have been determined by the devotedness of their earthly service. Wow. I'm going to keep going. I don't care. doesn't matter. It's not time yet, so don't worry about that. One author said it this way, Heaven will not involve differing qualities of service because everything is perfect. Everything done for the Lord will be perfectly right and perfectly satisfying. There will be no distinctions of superiority or inferiority. There will be no envy, uh no jealousy, or any other remnant of sinful human nature. Whatever one's rank or responsibility or opportunity, those will be God's perfect will for that individual and therefore will be perfectly enjoyed in a way that is beyond our present comprehension. Believers will be both equal and unequal in the millennium and in the eternal state. God is a God that deals in complementarianism. He's not in the world of view of egalitarianism. And that means it, it, that's so important. In the parable that Mr. Gaiman read this morning, it is even more explicit that Jesus was speaking of millennial and eternal rewards. He says it. Because they are specifically bestowed after the nobleman's kingdom was established. So the parable that is found in Luke gives us an idea that, hey, this isn't for the here and now. Those works are going to be, those services are for the millennial kingdom and beyond the eternal state. The kingdom rewards are given in proportion. Listen, I'm telling you, and this is important. Kingdom rewards are given in proportion to earthly faithfulness. They are. They are. So the Christian that works good and faithfully will be rewarded with more work in eternity. But not only work opportunity, but the text says the good and faithful Christian will enter into the joy of your master. They will share in the divine joy of their master. In addition to sharing the Lord's divine sinlessness and holiness, they also enjoy the joy of the Lord. I love it that every Christian that says they're a Christian, that professes Christianity in this earth, expresses greatly the joy of the Lord every day. Say, well, that's not true. That's my point. Matter of fact, there's a family that I just hate not being around. Because every time I'm with them, the joy of the Lord is expressed like I've never seen it expressed. Those are the guys I want to hang around. Second, also, the one who had received the two talents came up and said, and by the way, how many, how many believe what I just showed you? The text is clear on that. Amen? All right, well, we're just going to go bump on this because it, that's what it is. Also, the, uh, so if Jesus says something once, it's really important. But if he says it twice, he's trying to make a point that this is really, really important. Well, guess what he's going to do here? Also, the one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I have gained.
two more talents. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Do you see anything different between that text and the text we just read? The only difference is he was, only, he was faithful with whatever God gave him. The only difference is, is five and two. Whose fault's that? Nobody's. That's God's design, amen. It's God's design. I love this. Maybe I'll give you this anecdotal example. I have a partner that works with me. He he's comes to church. Jay. I love him. Jay is six foot four. He's nailed it. I am five foot six on a good day. I don't want to be like Jay, and Jay doesn't want to be like me but we do work well together to please the Lord. Does that make sense? One other, and this is, I think, so important. One of my professors that taught me how to preach and now is helping me in my doctorate, Dr. Burgraff. Dr. Burgraff got a PhD in science or some kind of weird, I don't know, What's that? Chemical engineering. Yeah. He is a whiz up here, right? <clears throat> the Lord gets a hold of his heart and he goes to seminary. And at seminary, he has to have a job to support his family. Guess what he finds? He has to clean the pig feces out of the barn. And then bring in the pigs. They get butchered. He's got to clean some more and bring more in. He testifies, and this is his testimony. He said, I hated that job. I hated it with every. How many would understand? Here's his thinking Look, he's young. I've got a PhD in chemical engineering. What? in the world am I doing here? I am better than that. No, you're not. God is. His testimony is this. I hated it. I didn't want to be there. And everybody knew it. But then God got a hold of my heart. And I realized this is exactly where God wants me and the job He wants me in. And I need to be good and faithful in that job. And you know what? Everything went great. People heard the gospel. His testimony was wonderful. Why? The joy of the Lord was His strength in the circumstance He was in. Amen? Do you see all that, do you see how that works? You might be in a job that you hate. Don't act like it. I mean, why did, if you hate it, do you know what you're really saying? God, that's what you're doing. God has placed you where you play, He has placed you. Be good and faithful in it. Do the best you can in it. All right.
Third guy, we got 10 minutes. That's all he deserves. <laughs> all right, here we go. Master, I knew. And, and the one who, was, who had received the one talent came up to him and said, Master, I mean, this guy's... I, I can't even say it. I, yeah. Master, I knew you to be hard man. You reaped where you did not sow. You gathered where you did not scatter to the seeds. What in the world is this guy doing? How many see that when you read it? I mean, are you crazy? Yeah, he's crazy. He is. So, it's interesting. The slain was identified as, and here's what's interesting. He's identified as belonging to the master. Do you see that? He is one of the slaves. In today's Christian culture, he would be identified as a Christian. But, first of all, he did nothing with what God had given him. He was lazy. And by the way, here's the principle. Laziness takes work. Do you understand that? For this guy, laziness took a lot of work. He dug a stinking hole. Right? Laziness takes work. He was lazy. He did not do what God had told him to do. Slaves do not represent an, do not represent an atheist or an agnostic because he recognized the master as his legitimate owner and no doubt made a pretense of honoring the master while he was away. He simply disregarded the stewardship he'd been given. This is the same way of the unbelieving church members when they live in the environment of God's redeemed community. In spite of their privilege that they are given, they make no positive response to the gospel and therefore can render no faithful servants. Now, I will tell you this, it is impossible to have a fruitful ministry without Christ or to have fruitful work without Christ. It's all vain, Ecclesiastes. So he did nothing with what God had given him. But secondly, the slave not only questioned his master's character, but attacked the master's character. I mean, this guy's, this guy's a real winner, let me tell you. He said to the master, he said, you're a hard man. Sometimes I think, well, it doesn't matter. You, 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 you get money off, you didn't even do anything, you get money from it. You gather where, there's, where you didn't even scatter the seeds. You, you, you reap where you didn't even sow. He is charging his owner with being a mean, unmerciful, and dishonest business thug. That's what he's doing. By the way, aren't we doing the exact same thing when we say, who are we to say that God chooses us? We're not just robots. Who does he think he is? God That's unfair. That's not right. Do you see all this? All this all dubs tail together, by the way. It, it, it's phenomenal. 
So instead of judging themselves in light of God's inerrant word, such people like this judge God in light of their own perverted perceptions. Here's the word. God's love. He loves all people. Does he? The Bible says, Esau have I hated. I really don't think he loved Pharaoh. How about Baal? You can go on and on and on. Folks, what they're saying is, he's nice to all people and lets people do what they want. Because that's love. No, no, that's not love. That's hate. Listen, God created you man and woman. He, specifically you, created you the way you are. Why? That's His choice. It's His way of glorifying Himself. So, well, that sounds like a megalomaniac. Well, here's the deal. Who does He answer to? He's simply stating a fact. And He's simply helping us understand that I have nowhere to turn but to Him. The problem is, America has way too many people they think they can turn to. I mean, there's literally people think that they can trust the President. Talk about nutso! Any President. I mean, it's worse now. I, I don't. Did you see the last speech? Um. Hey, how are you? How you doing? Who's a, he whispered the whole thing. God said he would turn all my, all people's mind to 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 nutsoness, and he's coming tomorrow. <clears throat> Do you understand what's going on? It, it, it's crazy. We have become so depraved and so loving out of our depravity, we miss who God really is. And therefore, we take our love and think, well, that's what God, the way God loves, and we totally miss it. No, God disciplines whom He loves. Amen? God created you the way He created you because He loves you. And he didn't make a mistake, and so you have to have a change. The slave, obviously, here's the point. They not only justify themselves, but they do it at the expense of God. And that's the reality. The reality that this parable clearly teaches is that there are professing Christians who are no Christians at all. That slave portrays the unregenerate church member who has no spiritual fruit in his life, no spiritual worship in his heart. He is blind to the Lord's kindness, grace, compassion, mercy, honest, and the list goes on forever because he has not surrendered himself to the Lordship of Christ. Meaning, he's the most important, not God. I don't know how in the world free gracers get around this parable. This guy was a slave. Everybody called him a slave. He called the master his master. But where does he end up? He ends up in hell. 
What are the signs of a professor amongst possessor? Number one, he was afraid of his master. It's not that reverential awe of him that he's the great potentate. It's he was scared to death. He resented and despised the master. He had no love for the master. He did not respect the master. He was at enmity against him, not in love with him. The slave had no love for his master. His depravity clouded his unperspecting eyes. In other words, he had no perspective of who God really was. By the way, Jesus is not only Savior, He is Lord and Sovereign God. And we can't miss that. So, what did the Master respond to this wonderful person? I bet you his grade school teachers said that he was great, magnificent, and he was a self-proclaimed man, and he, he could tell that that master was a wicked man. What I'm saying is, his teaching didn't line up with reality. This world is making God out to be wicked. It's doing the same thing. And the people in this world are putting their fists up at God and saying, who do you think you are? Same thing. Same thing. So how does the master respond? Here's the end. Here's the end game. In response to the unfaithful slave's rationalization, the master said, you wicked, lazy slave. You knew that I reap where I do not sow, gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank, and on my arrival I would have received my money back with at least, and I can tell you, with, with at least some interest. The first two slaves were good and faithful. This slave was wicked and lazy. How do we know he was wicked? The slave just destroyed the character of his master. How do we know he was lazy? He did nothing with what the master had given him. The master, in essence, continues the conversation. Here's the deal. Here's what he would have said. I'm going to revitalize this a little bit. His master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave, you knew that I reap where, you, where, I did not know, where, where I did not sow and gathered where I scattered no seed. In essence, he said, You think that I'm a hard man. You think that I harvest crops that don't belong to me. That I literally um, sow and scatter, or gather um, the fruit where I don't put the seeds in. If you really believe that, why did you not take the talent at least and go to the bank? So not only, and here's the, here's the reality, not only are you wicked and lazy, you're not too smart. There at least been something. You know, if you really think I'm that bad of a guy, why don't you use it for your own benefit? But no, you can't even do that. The fact that he did not attempt to earn even simple interest of money confirmed that he was totally irresponsible and indifferent to his master. All right. I didn't get through it. 
How many learned something about the good and faithful slave and the wicked and lazy slave? How many can see that there are so many applications that we all are in humble repentance? What kind of mom are you? What kind of dad are you? What kind of friend are you? What kind of employee are you? What kind of employer are you? Every single person here, whether you're retired or not, it's irrelevant. We all have work to do for the Lord. We must be good and faithful in that work. That's the whole point. Good and faithful. Next week we'll finish this and probably introduce judgments that are going to be happening. Rodney, can you come and close this in a word of prayer, please? Father, thank you for your great love you have for us. Thank you for this day that we could gather in your name. Father, thank you for saving us when we couldn't save ourselves. Lord, I pray that we will be examining our hearts first and foremost to see that if we know you, Lord, and if we do, that we are being faithful to what you've entrusted in us, Lord. I pray, Lord, that we will continue to grow and that we are thankful for, first and foremost, what Christ has done. The church we've been placed in, the teaching that we learned here, Father, thank you for that. That's a blessing that is rare in our day and age. And we don't know how long that will last, Father. We just pray that we would not quench the Holy Spirit, but listen to it and let it guide us in our lives. Be with us as we leave here today and bounce back next week. But this week, Lord, just remember, let us remember every day is a worship. We always have opportunities to worship, but we need to understand it's just not today. It's every day. And I say this for that purpose. In Jesus' name, amen.